All right. Welcome back to A Minor Detail. My name is Ryan Miner. I'm your host of A Minor Detail Radio. Find us on the web at aminordetail.com. And we're here every Sunday night on blogtalkradio.com slash aminordetail. And I guess we're competing with, I don't know, what is it, the Emmys or something? Yeah, I don't know. Yes, the Emmys, because I just see I just saw a tweet of Alec Baldwin in a tuxedo. And I think Saturday Night Live just won an Emmy for the best sketch series. So, I mean, think about it. Back during the election last year, I I stayed like I'm I go to bed early, so I stayed up every Saturday night during the election, um, preceding the election, to watch Saturday Night Live, which hands down some of the some of the finest sketch comedy I've seen in years. So, yeah, but we're not here to talk about sketch comedy, although maybe maybe I will later in the show. But I have a guest with me tonight. Her name is Myla John. She's a Democrat. She's running for state delegate in District 18. And man, there's a lot of candidates out there this year, and I'm going to do my best to cover them. We have a big election coming up. So I want to welcome first time candidate, first time guest to a minor detail, Myla, who before the show started, I said, hey, I don't want to butcher your freaking name. So um, go ahead and, <laughs> and, and see if we can get this right. I have a tendency to do that. So welcome Myla to a minor detail. How are you? Hi, Ryan. I'm great. How are you? I'm good. I'm, I, I feel bad for anybody listening live who is like tuning in and watching the Emmys. But I mean, come on, who who cares about the Emmys? I mean, we can watch to be it honest, later. I didn't even I didn't even know the Emmys were on tonight. So yeah, you're ahead of me on that one. Yeah, yeah. See, you're out busy knocking doors and you know starting a revolution down there in District 18. So um, <laughs> yeah, but I want to talk all about you tonight, and we're going to get into the crux of your campaign and your background. So let's just start it off. What? Um, who are you? Why, why and why in the hell are you running for office in like the craziest time ever to, to run for public office, I think, in the history of this country? And um, let's just talk about you. So you're running for District 18. You're a progressive Democrat. And Milo, where are you from? Where did you grow up? Ryan, yes, you're right. I'm running in D18 as a progressive Democrat. Um, I was born and raised in Baltimore City, Balmer. Um, trying really hard not to pronounce it that way. I have been a Marylander my whole life. I've lived here except for my study abroad in Beijing. And for the last five and a half years, I was a terrorism analyst at the National Consortium for the Study of Terrorism and Responses to Terrorism, which is a DHS-funded center of excellence at the University of Maryland College Park. And you may be wondering what that has to do with running for office. And I think it has a lot I to do. Had, <laughs> well, state office, it seems a little incongruous. People kind of ask me about it. But uh, I had a job lined up with Customs and Border Protection. I was set to begin working on a new group that was going to develop a vetting process using deep and dark web technology for refugees and other people of interest coming into the country just to make sure they were who they said they were, we could verify these people. Unfortunately, 
November 9th came and the results of the election were a surprise to, I think, most of us, many of us at least, in Maryland. And I could not in good conscience take that job. And so I turned it down because I could not work for that agency under a president who had campaigned on extreme vetting, extreme vetting, as he said. Um, And that just was not something I could do morally. I have always been interested. Yeah, that's 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 commendable. Okay, because I I got to tell you, um, not that I ever would be offered a job in the Trump administration. I sure wouldn't want to take it. (laughs) Who would? You you have people who are selling themselves. And I get it. Look, I I look at people like H.R. McMaster, uh, General John Kelly, guys that have spent their entire careers, 40 plus years defending our country honorably and taking us into battle and winning wars, although we're still in Afghanistan and um, after 16 years of at war, but we can get into that later. Um, But nonetheless, you have some extraordinarily qualified people who are serving in government because they are doing their duty to their, to their country. And I commend those people, but you have these partisan some of these people who took jobs in the Trump administration, um, namely Betsy DeVos, who has no business being our education secretary, um, <laughs> for a number of reasons. A complete agreement there. <laughs> yes, exactly. So we have several people who are doing this out of duty, and then of course we have people that just need a job and. Um, yeah, look, some of the failed politicians that ran for president and that are part of this administration. But then again, Myla, how many of these jobs in this administration have gone unfilled? Important State Department jobs, important jobs all over the place where these career dip- diplomats are leaving in droves. They're being driven out by this idiocy that's now in, that is encumbering our government. And look what's happening. Our, our government is in complete disarray at this time. I don't care what anybody says. Look at what's happening. We are in disarray because it starts at the top. And when you have a preschooler who tweets on a Sunday morning hitting a golf ball into the former Secretary of State's head, we got real problems in our country, namely someone with a Twitter account. So I'm <laughs> – I'm disillusioned right now, and forgive my serial negativism, but I'm, I'm, I know that the tone of our conversation will get much better. But nationally, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm so disgusted by what has happened in the last nine months. And this is me coming from a former Republican turned independent who could, of course, no longer defend Donald Trump. Well, I never did defend Donald Trump. I was always the hashtag never Trump. And, you know, in the Republican Party, I was called every name, like I'm a fake conservative, a rhino, you name it, I was called it. And people had said, just leave, just go join the, join the Democrats. And I'm thinking, you know what, um, maybe that's not such a bad idea. If you're telling me to leave so much, but then again, the Republicans want everybody to leave the country, including legal immigrants. So um, maybe I'm on the right pathway here. Um, <laughs> so tell me I, I about you your... Are, to be honest. <laughs> You never know. I live in I live in Montgomery County. I grew up in 
I grew up in the culturally conservative Western Maryland. And of course, you growing up in Baltimore, I assume you were, you were in Baltimore County in Pasadena. Um, that's a pretty culturally conservative area, isn't it? Well, actually, I was in Baltimore. I grew up in Baltimore City, but um, okay. I went to high school in Pasadena in, in Arundel County, actually. Um, oh, that's right. My what mom got remarried and went down there. So I, I've seen both sides of it. Uh, mm-hmm. I was raised evangelical Christian. I mm. went to a very Christian school uh, for a long time. I went to public school for high school. And so I got really both sides of that. And so I can understand, I think, where you and others who are very disillusioned with Trump but identified as conservatives are coming from because uh, in full disclosure, my mother voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, so did uh, mine. Caused a little bit of tension in our relationship, but yeah, I hear you know. God bless you. She's your mother, <laughs> and we have you know. And my mother is my number one champion. God bless her. We can't talk politics because we just it causes a it causes major problems. But we we do so respectfully. And my mother and I has co- we have come to an agreement just not to talk about. We just don't talk about it, which is better because that, we have many – it's like it just doesn't work. <laughs> that's so. where we're at. She was in the Labor Day parade with me in Kensington, and the entire time she just kept saying to me privately, you remember I'm a Republican, right? I'm doing this because I love you. And I was like, thank you, Mom. I really appreciate it. We can discuss all of this later. Well, she has to. She's your mom, and and look, we respect yeah. our disagreements, and we we often, my mom and I often find m- many points of common ground. And look, if the Republican Party would stop selling crazy to people, then there would be a place there. But I would classify myself much more as a libertarian. Um, you know, I I believe that I, I want government to leave us alone in many aspects. Um, I'm a constitutionalist. I am a firm champion of our Bill of Rights. And incidentally, Mila, today is September 17th. It's Constitution Day. So we should all be celebrating all that the Constitution, Constitution the the rights that uh, our natural rights um, by mere existence that we are granted um, by simply just by existing. So I want to thank the founders for writing the First Amendment to give me this platform to do what I do. Um, and, you know, of course, I'm a big supporter of the Fourth Amendment. So get a warrant. If you, if you don't, don't bother me. Leave me alone exactly. and get a warrant. So tell me about I want to I want to learn a lot more about you. Um, you attended you went to the University of Maryland College Park and American University for graduate school. You got a B.A. in government and politics and a master's in Middle Eastern studies. What drove you to the the foreign policy aspect. Um, what was the driving factor behind that passion? Actually, I was in a program at the University of Maryland called Global Communities that was teaching students how to interact in a multi- multicultural society and a global world. And I think it really had a lot to do with preparing people to be leaders in business and in public affairs, but for me, I hate to admit this, but I did sign up for the program because it was on the mall and it had an air-conditioned dorm, which if you've been to College Park is no <laughs> small thing. Uh, but I got 
so much out of the program that I never anticipated, including my husband, who was also in the program. But one of the ways they taught us to look at different cultures was through cinema. And I fell in love with Iranian cinema, which is one of the big international cinema movements. And I began taking Persian language courses, and I minored in Persian studies, and I fell in love with the literature, language, and culture of Iran. And to be honest, there's not a lot of call right now for Persian literature professors. So I tried to make myself a little bit more marketable by focusing on international relations and foreign policy, especially for grad school where I minored in terrorism and intelligence studies. Mm-hmm. And that led directly into my career. Yeah, I went to my undergraduate was at Duquesne University and I did I spent a lot of time in, in international relations classes, uh, terrorism, uh, crisis management. And I, I was taught by some of the truly world's greatest minds in, in for international relations and in Middle Eastern studies. And I I grew very attached to the program and opened my mind. Now, at the time, I was a, I was a bit more on the, the right-wing spectrum, and that was during the Bush years. And then you learn to grow up <laughs> and learn to, 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 to gauge your passions, and, and you start to focus instead on not, not necessarily the ideology, but policy by policy. And I think that's where I arrived. I am today. And look, anybody who knows me knows that I've gone through quite a progression of my politics and I think that that's how most people should. You, you can't just say one day you pop out of the womb and say, well, um, I'm going to start listening to Rush Limbaugh and Sean Hannity because I'm a conservative. It, it just doesn't work like that. But you have to you have to discover how policy works. And when you get in, especially when you get involved in local government, um, the really the, the not sexy aspect of politics um, where the rubber meets the road that's when you discover who you are and how government truly works. And that's why, you know, I see you as someone that has many passions to do good and, and, and that's why you are jumping into this race um, for district 18. And um, let's talk a little bit about you a little bit more. So you're married. um, You live in Chevy Chase. You have 11 year old daughter and, um, you, how long have you lived in Chevy Chase? I've lived in Chevy Chase for the last five years. Um, I've lived in Montgomery County for the last ten. Okay. And so your, your husband is Devin, who I found out when I attended your campaign kickoff. He and I share a mutual love of cigars. And I, I swear to you, I'm going to take him up on that offer. We're going to sit down and have a cigar together. Um, so oh, he's <laughs> looking forward to it. Yeah. And your house, by the way, your house is beautiful. It's right. It's like mainstream America. It's right on a main strip um, in in Chevy Chase. And your front yard is incredible. It has a big hanging tree on two sides. And you have that perfect front porch where you can sit on the front porch and yell at people for going too fast down your street. And uh, that's what I would do, at least. Um, It's just it's Chevy Chase has such character. What a cool neighborhood you live in. I love it. I could, it does. It, it's great because we sit out there on summer evenings and talk to the neighbors as they go by. Everyone who walks their dogs, we know from walking our dog. And 
it's just great. It's a really lovely community. So let's get into a little bit of the politics of this race. Um, when did you decide okay. that you wanted to get into, uh, you wanted to jump into this field? How, how did that process unfold? Well, I've always been interested in local and state politics. Uh, my grandmother was a community activist in Baltimore. So I grew up going to the city council meetings and following politicians around to lobby them about whatever cause was on her mind at the moment. So to me, that was just always very natural. As I became an adult and my focus shifted more into the foreign policy, I've always been very active in the reproductive justice movement in domestically and in Maryland. And I have testified in Annapolis uh, on everything from emergency contraception availability to domestic violence protection for intimate mm-hmm. partner violence. Because previously you could only get a peace order for if you were dating someone who became abusive. And yeah. It took a few goes around, but we eventually made it so that you're eligible for a stronger protective order, which affords victims a lot more protection. So to okay. me, this, uh, when I found myself not taking the job at CBP, I started looking at how I could get involved in my community on a more hands-on basis, and because obviously working in the federal and arena was not going to be in the cards for the next four years at least and there happened to be an open spot in the delegation and I said I may as well go for this I am just as qualified as anyone and more people need to step up especially now and I'm going to put myself forward Hmm. okay and the reason why that it that an open seat um, occurred is because you have the three-term uh, state delegate Jeff Waldstriker. Is that how you say? How do you say his last name? Because I don't want to butcher it. I'm terrible at this. Jeff Waldstriker. You're right. Okay. So Jeff Waldstriker of Kensington has indicated that he is going to run for the state senate seat that is now ostensibly open because Rich Madalino is running for governor in the Democratic primary. So you have a sitting delegate who is moving up and going to run for state senate now we're not sure al carr also is a an incumbent as well as ansel gutierrez and ansel gutierrez last year she ran for congress in cd8 and of course jamie raskin won that seat and uh is now representative of the eighth congressional district but there's al carr and ansel gutierrez have has any of those two indicated that they might be interested in running for District 18? The Senate seat, there, that is. There is a little bit of uh, speculation. Anna Sol Gutierrez is, there have been rumblings as to it, will she retire? Will she run for council? There's also been questions if Al Carr will run for council. As far as I know, there is no decision has been made on either of their parts, and so I am assuming that there will, in fact, remain one open seat, but the possibility is certainly there that there could be at least two. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and that's, that's interesting um, because if there's two open seats, you know, <laughs> that's all, then there's the possibility of 
more potential candidates jumping in. But you jumped into this race, was it over the summer? Yes. I uh, I decided to do it in April, and I formally filed on June 14th, which is mm-hmm. coincidentally flag day, which was very symbolic <laughs> for me because my grandmother was a huge proponent of the American flag in all forms. So I chose that day specifically. Okay. And so now that you've been, you, you formally kicked off the campaign last Sunday and I was there, you had a great turnout, uh, lots of people, you made a quick speech, which was nice because you know how these things go. We've been to so many of these campaign kickoffs. <laughs> and then I, I just remember, I, I won't mention any names in particular, but, uh, I went to a campaign kickoff for a candidate running for Congress and the person spoke for like 26 minutes and it was just like, Oh my gosh, like, come on, we just want to eat and then talk to one another, you know, just get on with it already. Jeez. Um, so you, you're, you're in, you're in for a, quite a, uh, quite a campaign um, because, oh, yeah. and I say that because you have another candidate who ran last time, who was actually endorsed by the Washington Post, Emily Shetty, who sits on the Montgomery County Democratic Central Committee, I believe. Um, is that? I think that's right. She sits on the, that's the Central. That's correct. She's the vice chair. Okay, she's the vice chair. Now, will she have to step down for if she continues to run? I'm not sure how that works in in Democratic politics. I know some people they they maintain that or. They step down because there could be some sort of interference. I don't know. Maybe that's a question I should ask her. I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, she has already indicated in an interview with Bethesda Magazine or Bethesda Beat, which is part of Bethesda Magazine, that she intends to continue in her position, position as vice chair unless there becomes a conflict of interest. Mm-hmm. Um, there are no formal rules requiring her to step down from that post. I am not sure if it is customary or not, but as of right now, she is still doing that and campaigning, and that is her prerogative. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so two two progressive women um, that are running for, for office, and look, I am I'm a major proponent of women in general running for office, especially strong women who have convictions. And listen, I'm tired of seeing um, – you know, middle-aged, flabby white men running for office and winning. And, I mean, great. If they have good ideas, fine. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll support that. But it's nice to see w- strong women running for office because, look, I have a daughter. She's 10. That is a powerful symbol for her. That is a very powerful symbol. And that's, that's a promising outlook. And, of course, when Hillary Clinton lost the presidency – um, she actually won the popular vote, but <laughs> somebody still has problems with that. Neither um, here nor there. <laughs> yeah, we won't mention any names who has who's <laughs> still not been able to fully um, to, to turn the page on that one. But nonetheless, um, I, you know that was a big deal—the first um, female um, presidential candidate for a major party. And and look, it did look it didn't turn out. In fact, I just purchased her book. Uh, what happened? yesterday at uh, Barnes and Noble in, in Rio. So I plan to, to dive into that and read all about her, her take on it. So, um, and look, you see lots of women that are engaged now. They're, they're eager. They're ready to step up and serve their communities. And you're one of them. 
So let's talk a little bit about District 18, uh, and then we'll go into some policy. District 18 sure, encompasses. I, I just go ahead. I'm sorry. One. I just want to make one mention one thing, which is there is another candidate in the race. Uh, Jared Solomon is running oh. as well as a Democrat, and. He is a lovely person and someone you should definitely consider having on your show. He is great. Okay. Okay. Uh, my intention is to interview everyone. Um, I I showed up to your, your campaign kickoff. Anybody who invites me or wants me to show up, I mean, look, I just – I do this – this is a hobby for me, and I try to put out good information for people to take to the ballot box. And as we know, there's an absence of news and day-by-day day coverage of the races down here in Montgomery County since the Gazette has left us. And I hope one of these days that, um, Oh, it is a shame. And I, I'd like to see a, a full-time committed Washington post reporter that is covering the County council, the board of education, the state delegate races. And look, Montgomery County is the largest County in the state of Maryland. It is the, the place to be and there's lots of people and there's lots of things that are happening in the community and it's just there's an absence of coverage we're just bereft of coverage and i can't be everywhere i have a full-time job i i and i don't make money doing this this is a hobby i love what i do and um maybe one of these days we'll figure out a um a way to monetize this hobby for the better but nonetheless um i'm doing this on a sunday night because i genuinely enjoy talking to candidates getting out their message, hearing their perspectives on how to improve local government. And that's what we do. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I always appreciate when candidates invite me to their events, because I'll, I'll do my best to show up if I don't have something else going on. Um, no, and you so, are providing a great local service. No, I appreciate that. No, it means a lot. And, um, and, and, and I want to give a shout out to, to our friends over at seventh state, um, Adam Pugnacchio and David Lublin. Um, they're, they're also, kicking it into high gear with their resource and media platform. So I, and you know, if you read a minor detail.com also check out seven state, those guys are very well tuned in. They understand policy much better than I do. And, um, and I'm, I'm getting there. I'm learning the ins and outs of Montgomery County politics. Cause look, I grew up in Washington County. I know Western Maryland politics, but um, <laughs> it, it's a lot, it's a lot to learn. This is such a big place. So there's, there's so many different political alliances, Myla, and there's different events and everything going on in a county of a million people. I can't be everywhere, so I just rely on um, a lot of information coming out from the candidates themselves. So if you're listening, just go ahead and sign me up for your email list. I think I, has, I should have a <laughs> completely different email address just to get all the candidates' incoming information um, because it's a lot. <laughs> So, um, you may regret talk, seeing that, saying that. I know, right? <laughs> I, if they, you know, people are going to start signing up Ryan R. Minor uh, at gmail.com, and then I'll, I'll get like 20 email blasts tomorrow morning. I'm thinking uh, I'll regret that. So, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, District 18 yep. it includes the towns of Chevy Chase, um, Chevy Chase Village, Garrett Park, Kensington. Then you have some of these unincorpor- unincorporated places like. Bethesda, Forest Glen, Glenmont, Kent Mill, North Bethesda, North Kensington, Silver Spring, South Kensington, Wheaton, um, and did I miss any? Does that sound about right? We got the rest, the rest of the Chevy Chases, Chevy Chase Village, the uh, Section 5, Section 3, Martin's Edition, all of mm-hmm. the Chevy Chases are in here, but yes. So 
it's a progressive area. It's a it's not a it it's not a conservative district, right? I mean, it, we're talking about it. No. It's very progressive. Yes, we're a very it's a very liberal area. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so you are you you have no bones about it. You self-identify as a progressive Democrat. So what makes you a progressive Democrat? What does that mean in 2017 terms? I think in 2017 terms, what that means is that I support things like the $15 minimum and $15 an hour minimum wage. I support public financing of elections. I think that is a great way to um, combat special interests. I support things like universal access to health care and criminal justice reform, reproductive rights legalization of marijuana, full legalization, not the unendingly slow, painful death by a thousand paper cuts of the medical marijuana program that is supposedly still getting off the ground. Uh, Death with dignity, all of these things are very important to me. Mm -hmm. Well, there's, I mean, that's, that sounds like a progressive and progressives and libertarians um, we share some crossover. Uh, th- there's some intermingling of your progressive values. Now, you and I might not see eye to eye on some of the economic issues, but I can tell you that you mentioned a few issues. Criminal justice reform is mm-hmm. one. Death with dignity is another. And you and I had a long conversation about that. So, Milo, I want to go into that. Let's talk about what is this death? What is death with dignity? And could you give a little bit about the could you talk about the background of that bill in Maryland? It's come before the General Assembly, and we're not there yet. But I think in another legislative session, maybe two, we will be there. And I want to state unequivocally that I support a death with dignity bill. I stand with you. I stand with the many other Marylanders who got behind a bill that said it is, it is time to take back control – of our own lives, that we have a right to make our end-of-life decisions without government telling us that we cannot. And if we can pass a bill and we can find a way to appease all sides of the issue and overlook some of the illogical views that are being thrown out by some of these special interest groups, then we can pass this bill. And I hope, if you're elected, that you stand on the front lines of this in Annapolis because this is a bill that we desperately, desperately need, and Maryland is behind the curve on this issue. So what's the background on this, Milo? First of all, I want to tell you that I agree with everything you just said, and I plan, if I'm elected, to be on the front lines. I want to co-sponsor this bill with uh, Delegate Shane Pendergraft, who has been introducing it, along with Senator Guy Gazzoni. Um it has come up in the legislative session for the last three years, and it has not gotten out of committee yet. It was, in fact, withdrawn last session previous, earlier this year. Um, there, are, there were 14 Democratic co-sponsors in the Senate. There were 44 co-sponsors in the House. Only one of them was a Republican. But I think that this is – we are so far beyond the time to do this. One Republican. We have one Republican. Uh, Who Delegate was that? 
Chris West. He was hmm. a Republican okay. from Baltimore County. Wow. Um, this is one of those bills where I think there could be far more bipartisan agreement if we simply work on framing it as a as what it is, which is a matter of individual bodily autonomy and choice, that the government should not have a role in telling me what I can or cannot do about my end-of-life options. Um, the bill would allow a terminally ill patient, an adult, not anyone who is a minor, not anyone who is mentally ill, to consult two doctors and be prescribed a lethal dose of pharmaceuticals to take at their discretion when they decide the time is right for them to end their lives with dignity. Yeah. Well, and, you know, as I, as I, as we talked about this week, you know, I've had this experience in my family. It's very personal. We have gone, I had to be the one last year to insist on implementing my grandmother's end-of-life care decisions. And we had crossed our T's, dotted our I's, everything was done with the legal power of attorney and advanced directives and living will. And even with all the signed, notarized legal documents, in hand, I still had to physically bar doctors and nurses from coming in to the hospital room for anything other than pain management because they kept insisting on different medical interventions, mm-hmm. and that was not what she wanted. Hmm. Well, let's 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 talk a little bit more. What? Why is it? that this bill is seemingly hung up in Annapolis? Is it partisan rancor that is crippling the progress on this? Is it a unwillingness for Governor Hogan to sign it? Now, I don't know where Governor Hogan is going to come down on this. It might be um, where he just doesn't apply the signature and it becomes law, which if if I could make a prediction, that that might be in the scope of what's going to happen. And Governor Hogan hasn't been – he hasn't been – I don't know where his stance is on this. Um, are you familiar with that? Because I don't know. I am not familiar with his stance either. I, to my knowledge, he has not made any statement one way or the other, but I do tend to agree with you that if this were to pass the General Assembly, he would be most likely to probably let it get, become law without his signature. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, we want our yeah. leaders to, to have conviction, yeah. but we understand. Look, Gov- I, like, I like many policies that Governor Hogan has supported, and in the policies in which I don't support, I respectfully disagree and present a, a, a counter policy to that. But I also you – know, I'm, I'm not bashing the governor over the head for little things, and I, I just want to say parenthetically that – some of our gubernatorial candidates are any little thing that they can find to bash the governor with. They're doing it, and I think that's the wrong approach. Take out a policy and support that and tell people like what you are doing, Mila, 
you are telling people what you support, not necessarily everything that you're against. And in a state like Maryland, you have some very conservative sides, but in Montgomery County and places where we live, and I live in North Potomac, and you live in Chevy Chase, um, the politics are going to be a little bit more progressive, and in your case, very much so progressive in your district. But we have to stand for something. We have to stand for something instead of standing. It's easy to say what we're against, but it's also some candidates have some very difficult times explaining what they're actually for. And I appreciate that about your candidacy because you you have no bones about it. You have a clear agenda. You have an itinerary. And that's where that's why I can just completely wrap my head around all the tangibles of your candidacy. And that separates you. That separates you from the pack. Well, thank you. I mean, I my view of it is I am running my own campaign and I'm putting forward my ideas and there are three delegate spots. I'm asking for one of your votes, one of your three votes. And all I can do is present my thoughts and ideas and policies and ask you respectfully for your vote and hope you agree with me and listen to people who don't and see what I can learn from them, how I can incorporate those differences into building bridges. Right. And that's what it's all about. It's about governing and standing strong on your convictions, but also finding common ground. We have desperately lost the middle in America. And if I could bring some semblance of the middle back into perspective, meaning that, look, you have people like, and I'll I'll just go off on a a two-second rant. You have people like Charlie Dent up in Pennsylvania who is a Republican congressman who is a moderate. Moderates no longer exist in the Republican Party because they're not allowed to exist. And even in the and I've noticed on the Democratic side, if you're a tick to the center on some of these issues, then you're also labeled as Democrat in name only or way too modern and not progressive enough. But the goal of a legislator, like you know what you want to be, is to find the common ground to pass smart public policy that bit, that benefits everyone, not just your constituents inside of District 18, but for all Marylanders. And you're working really, in, in essence, for on behalf of every Marylander um, to make sure that our budget is secure, that our schools are being funded, that people have access to quality health care. And so that's where that's where I am, and I'm so desperate to turn the conversation back to – how can we work for everyone and leave the hardcore partisanship off to the side? And that's where I am in my think, personal politics. And I think we have a real opportunity to do that at the state level, especially in Maryland. We're a small state. You don't have the kind of anonymity and rancor that you can develop in national politics and Congress or even in a large state like California. Right. We have... You know, we know each other. Everyone around here knows each other. It's two degrees of separation, especially if you're a lifelong Marylander. You have to learn how to coexist. And you know what? There's a lot of things that you can, everyone can have their principles respected and find compromises on. And I think we need to do more of that because it's paralyzed our national politics. And we don't want that to be what happens 
in the state level. We need to work together to address the needs of our community. I agree. I, I do agree. And at the state level, it, we are the incubator of liberty, and we can pass some strong, strong policies that shows that we are looking forwards and not backwards. And one of those policies is, for God's sakes, Maryland, get on the ball with legalizing marijuana. It, it, is not oh, a, it is not a danger. Look, I don't want kids going out and thinking that it's okay to roll up a joint after school and then spend the rest of the night eating potato chips on a couch and playing uh, whatever the hell kids are playing these days. That's not what we're saying. But if you look yeah. at – and this is a very libertarian – and I got into lots of discussions and policy discussions with my friends who are libertarians, especially up in New Hampshire – um, where I was indoctrinated with libertarianism <laughs> when, I, when we went up there. But I got to tell you, what the heck is the holdup, Milo, on this, on this marijuana thing? I mean, we're, you know, medical marijuana was like uh, – you, you thought it was – some people were like, oh, no, how could we ever do this? And this is terrible, and this is – oh, this is not the kind of message that we want to send. But then people um, – science, <laughs> all these different studies that – continue to be released to show the medicinal benefits of this drug. I mean, I have watched video after video of people with severe life-threatening ailments, and it brings you to tears to show. I I watched a video of somebody who had um, just absolutely horrendous Parkinson's disease. They they received a dosage of uh, medicinal marijuana, um, and then they used it, and they showed the effects of the person completely relaxed. Um, their their muscle spasms stopped, and it was heartbreaking to watch. Um, and that's these are real stories. Where are we in Maryland that we can't pass legal? We cannot legalize marijuana. And uh, look, we know it's still legal at the federal level. We get that, okay? I understand that argument, and that's that's a valid point. Um, but States like Colorado and Washington State and the District of Columbia, they're doing it. Why can't Maryland do it? I wish I could give you a good answer for that. And I'm going to tell you straight up, I've already registered to be a medical marijuana patient. I have used it medicinally. I have a connective tissue disorder, and one of the things I struggle with is chronic pain and muscle spasms. My doctor is fully supportive. She has had patients who have moved to Colorado, to Washington, into the district to be able to legally access these drugs. And I just cannot wrap my head around what kind of 1980s war on drugs, just say no mentality is still in existence, that this is some sort of gateway drug that we're all going to be one step away from heroin addicts when the reality is that if you look at the science, as you're saying, states that have legalized medical or recreational marijuana have seen a significant decrease in their opioid abuse problem. And God knows that is something that has affected almost every Maryland family that I know. This is an epidemic in our state. And to think that we are still having a debate about legalizing marijuana in the face of this epidemic is just, it's unconscionable and it's a dereliction of duty. And we need to be doing more and everything we can 
to get this well, the first. Yeah, I was going to say the first step is is that we what we're we're at the decriminalization portion, and that's yes. that's an important step in the criminal justice reform aspect where people who are caught with a certain amount of marijuana, um, they're not going to maintain the criminal record for the rest of their life. That's going to set them back in every aspect of their life. That's just foolish. And we could talk at length about some of the justice reform. Um, pieces of public policy that we're working towards. And I got to tell you, when, if you get elected, um, your, one of your colleagues would be David Moon, who is a champion for these types of issues. Um, and, yes, you know, I, I, I am just um, so impressed by how he has taken on some of these big ticket issues, um, you know, like legalization and decrim. And so, what are some of the organizations that we can partner with in Maryland to support this legalization effort? Does it stop? I mean, does it just stop? I mean, are we going to do this? I know we're going to get this Republican pushback. And look, and Republicans who are listening need to understand this. Your arguments are ridiculous. They are fundamentally ridiculous. And any time that I hear Republicans make this religious argument in, in opposition to marijuana – I just want to shout at them, and there goes the civility. We're all trying to be more civil, but I just want to say some of these arguments are completely illogical. They have no basis in fact. There is no basis in reality, and it's entirely driven by emotion, and that is why we are stopped where we are. And it's not just some Republicans. You got some No, Democrats too. Yeah, you got some religious – and look, I'm not – bashing the religious groups. I mean, these people are wonderful, wonderful people who do tremendous work on in, within their community who are opposed for particular reasons. I'm not bashing that. Um, what I am questioning is to open your mind to the possibilities of what legalization can do. And not only that, there's a serious economic benefit, Myla, isn't there? There's a serious oh, economic exactly. benefit. I mean, we're, our schools are underfunded. I don't understand what the rationale is beyond just, as you're saying, the emotional argument. And I think that's also true. That is a commonality in the death with dignity struggle is that a lot of the opposition to both legalization and to death with dignity is coming from organized religious quarters. And it is not based in fact, with science. It is based on our worst fears. And mm. I understand that change is scary, but we need to be moving forward and making policy decisions based on facts, not based on what we are, you know, the worst imagination that we can come up with. I, and I agree with you. We are not bashing religion, but I think we really do need to be cognizant that the First Amendment that allows you to have this wonderful program also provides for separation of church and state. And sometimes there are groups that have a disproportionate amount of influence on government. And in particular, with the death of dignity issue, that has been the Catholic Church has in Maryland has been a big opponent of it, as mm-hmm. has um, more orthodox Judith, uh, Jew, Jewish communities. They, these are also groups that opposed 
in some respects, in some instances, not all, uh, same-sex marriage legalization. And, you know, we need to move beyond this as a society. We need mm-hmm. to recognize the rights of individuals and science. And we can respect faith while also maintaining individual rights. In your Facebook profile um, that lists your biography, uh, you use a word, reproductive justice. And that's been a core issue for you since high school. And um, while at the University of Maryland, you wrote that you were horrified to discover um, that uh, there was no pro-choice group on the campus um, and so you worked with NARAL of Maryland and founded the student group Terps for Choice. And then in 2005, you began volunteering as a clinic escort with the Washington Area Clinic Defense Task Force, um, WACDTF. And then you provided WACDF, physical and emotional. It's the worst acronym ever. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's hard to pronounce. Um, and then there you provided physical and emotional support to women seeking health care at Planned Parenthood and local clinics, and 12 years later, you're still doing the same work, and you're managing clinic escort trainings in Maryland, Virginia, and Washington, D.C. So a couple questions. Um, With reproductive justice, um, and this is where I think that um, there's a real separation between Democrats and Republicans. There's one side who believes that um, abortion, and I hate using that word, um, but or that Democrats um, really focus on these reproductive issues that, you know, that some many, many Republicans obviously do not support abortion for very valid reasons. And many Democrats support having that right to choose. And somewhere in the middle of that, I stand. And while um, I would never advocate for abortion, while I would never advocate for um, that for someone that I know, and I would do everything that I could to work with a woman and um, to to help them make that very tough choice. I'm also stuck where I don't believe it's the government's responsibility to, to limit that. So here we are. Do you think a lot of people are where I am, especially in our country, on this issue, Myla? I think a lot of people are right around where you are, actually. I think what we really need to work on is building consensus, and I don't, I hate to be partisan about it, but there is a lot of pushback from the Republican side or the more conservative side that if we provide comprehensive sex education, if we provide access to contraception, all of which falls under the reproductive justice label. It's not just about abortion. It's about ensuring that people have access to the reproductive health care, men and women. If we focus on those issues where we can agree, no one wants to be in a position where they have to have an abortion. So we need to reduce that. We need to make birth control more available. We need teenagers to know what happens what sex is, what the consequences are, what the STI risks are, what the contraception, the, you know, pregnancy risks are, what the emotional risks are. There are all of these things that we can address. 
And there needs to be a bipartisan effort to work on the things that we all support, which I think is reducing the number of abortions because no one wants to be in a position where they have to make that decision. And if we can reduce that, I think that's the easiest and perhaps most effective way to build consensus and actually help people. I I know some, listen, I know women who have had an abortion, okay? And it is one of the most difficult, unbelievably emotionally taxing decisions that someone will ever go through in their entire life. And there's just no comparison. And that is a deeply personal and intimate decision that someone has to make in a situation where we just no one can quite possibly understand. And so it's just tough. And, and that's something that I think that that's a discussion that you, that one would need to have. And look, I've seen the videos, I've seen the, the, the literature and, you know, and you know, of course, as I, Really, I'm I'm Catholic. I'm non really non practicing, and I've got my own issues with organized religion. But that's for another discussion. Um, I, you know, there's there's a lot of pushback there, and I think people can believe in the sanctity of life, but we also have to understand that um, there's another side of this argument that you, a woman must be able to make that decision, and there's extremes on both sides. And people, where I come from, you know, in Western Maryland, we're very culturally conservative. And they believe that people who are pro-reproductive justice, or that's just a euphemism for using abortion as a means of birth control. And I haven't, and, and, and that's, I think, is an unfair argument because most people that I talk to who are, are pro-choice, they would never advocate, go out, in public and say, oh, well, we support abortion. It's great because of X, Y, and Z. I mean, I think that my understanding of the issue is is that it's an option that women need to make, and it's deeply personal, and the government shouldn't be involved in, within that option. Is that is that about right? Yeah. It is between a woman and her conscience and her doctor in terms of what is medically sustainable for her body. I mean, you know, no one wants to have an abortion. Right. That's not what anyone sets out to do. But if it becomes something that you need, whether it is because of health reasons, because of economic reasons, finishing your education, or just because you don't want to have a child and your birth control failed, it's, to me it's the same, it's the one end of the um, – spectrum of individual bodily autonomy that leads me to be pro-death with dignity at the end. If you are going to argue for bodily autonomy, it needs to go all the way through life. And that means when you are pregnant, if you don't want to be, you need, that needs to be your decision. And if you're terminally ill and you don't want to suffer through endless rounds of medical interventions and palliative care and hospice care, it's the same issue to me. And I really strive for ideological consistency in my positions because I want them to be well thought out. And 
it just is a natural progression to me. Well, it's a tough issue. I mean, it's a really it's it's it one is. of the They're toughest tough political. Issues. Yeah, it's one of the toughest political issues, and still a defining issue that separates and makes or breaks political parties. And um, and it's it's complex. It's nuanced. It's it's not easy to talk about, but we have to do so with intellectual honesty, as you said. And we we have to be open and honest with ourselves about the issue and be able to put it all out on the table um, be, for many people. And look, I, I know women who have run for office who are Republicans um, who support allowing – that would never advocate for abortion, but they believe that, um, that it, it should be on the table. And they've gotten significant pushback in a Republican primary. And i got to tell you, I am volunteering with a group um, – that is called – I don't know if you're familiar with an organization called the House of Ruth. Um, I'm very familiar with the House of Ruth. They do okay. domestic violence work. Yes, and so I am working to become much more involved as, in counseling and getting – you know, helping women to escape abusive relationships and working with women to, um, to get out of that. Um, and uh, I, I knew a candidate who ran for public office who was a member of this organization. And in fact, she introduced me to it. Um, and I thought, this is just such a wonderful mission. And there was significant pushback from people on the right saying, oh, it's just, you know, it's pro-abortion. It's all this. But look, there's <laughs> these are tough times in organizations that help women in significant ways. Um, that's that is certainly a, a real issue. And, and that's especially for me. Um but I think people in the state of Maryland, there's many of us who also believe that while it is an intimate decision that a woman will make, they just don't want the government paying for it. You know what I mean? Well, and the Hyde Amendment makes sure that federal funds are not used, and state tax exactly. dollars can be used based on what the state legislature chooses. So – I mean, I think that's the best compromise we are going to get is that federally, the federal government will not cover it, and it is up to the states to make their decisions. Right. Sure. I, I, absolutely. But, you know, it, it, that is a compromise that no one is totally happy with, which probably means it's the best compromise you could come to. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, listen, it's a compromise, and that's what it is. And you know, abortion is legal in our country. You know, there was a Supreme Court case, and it there it's an issue that I think a lot of people still talk about. And like I said, it drives the conversation, and people will vote on single issues. Now, look, I'm a I'm a fierce supporter of the Second Amendment, and that will never change. But it is also not one of the, the biggest issues that I will always talk about. I know where I stand. I know what I believe. I know what the Constitution says. And, of course, the Constitution is not closed for interpretation very much differently. It is open for, for interpretation, but it's not a, one of those issues that I, I'm a single-issue voter. And many of my friends are, and that's fine. I respect that. Um, you know, I don't uh, – we don't have guns in the House. Um, but I support the – I fundamentally believe that you have a, a right to protect yourself. And as you know, pe many people in Maryland, especially up in the western half, that is the number one issue that they care about. 
That is the number one issue. And that's okay. But I'm much more comprehensive in my politics. I'm much more complex. Um, I'm sort of wonky in that I want to talk about the state budget. I like to talk about education funding. And you got a lot under your belt to, to do as a state delegate. So here's my question for you. You get elected. You go into your first term. We talked about some of these policies that you want to push. Well, what do you think? What do you think some of these big-ticket items that are going to happen in the next couple of years? I think uh, legalization is definitely one of them, as is death with dignity. I think those issues are going to eventually get out of committee. They're going to go to a vote on the full General Assembly. And whether they are signed into law or not, once it has passed, they will go to referendum. And I, Maryland is one of those states where you can't just put something on the ballot based on enough signatures. It has to be passed by the General Assembly and then signed or rejected by the governor. And I think both of those issues are very likely to go to referendum in the state. And I think that is a good thing. I think allowing the voters to have a direct um, input on that is for the best. And you know what? A majority support death with dignity. I think it's about 65% of the last poll. And over 50% support legalization of marijuana, even for recreational purposes. And I think as we found with same-sex marriage, we became the first state to legalize that at the polls. Um, certainly the first southern state. <laughs> Debate on how southern we are, but you know we are technically below the Mason-Dixon line. I think yes. that imbues these findings, these laws, with a certain amount of power and legitimacy because they are voted on by everyone. And you know, not everything should go to referendum. That's just not how it's going to work. That's why we have a representative and not direct democracy. But for things of this nature, I think that is a natural progression, and I think it's healthy, and we should be having these debates as a state at large because they affect everyone. Uh, yeah, I mean, right on. I, I, I agree. I think there's going to be some interesting issues coming before the legislature, and um, at this point, I, I hate making predictions – as far as the gubernatorial race. And I don't know if you have a preferred candidate in the race or if you're just remaining neutral. Of course, you know, there is Rich Madalino, who is your state senator currently, who is running. I'll be honest. Um, I've been a friend of Rich's for 15 years. I'm very much pro-Rich. Um, okay. So that is my my bias on that one. My yeah, look, he's, he's a smart guy. He knows budget and taxation issues like nobody else. Um, and he is a proud I, I think walk. he's... Yeah, he's 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 wonky. He's policy oriented. I don't agree with uh, some of his positions, but he certainly led the fight for same sex marriage. And look, I just want to bring this. I just want to bring to the attention of Marylanders that it wasn't. But in two that was it back in 2012, they had all these different yeah. ballot initiatives and same sex marriage. I think it was question. Was it question four? I think it was question, question four. Six. Or question I think it was six. Question six. Okay, you're right. Question six. Um, see how my memory is failing, even at the young age of 31. Um, question six. I voted for question six. Yes, in support 
of same-sex marriage, the the right led by this goofball up in Western Maryland named Neil Parrott, who is like this religious oh. extreme. Oh, Neil, God bless. But <laughs> as they say, as bless uh, you know, heart. bless his heart, bless Neil Parrott's, you know, <laughs> Confederate love and statue heart. Um, I got to tell you, this guy has been on the wrong side of every possible liberty issue you can imagine. And he calls himself a Republican. And I, you know, it is just if I am if I could start a political action committee tomorrow to get this guy out of office, you know, I would do it. But I just don't have the time. And, And look, he's in a pretty safe conservative district, but he is an embarrassment to my community and some and he's just everything that he has done in the state of Maryland he's tried and just has failed miserably and he does this thing called MD petitions and he tried to put um the death penalty back on I don't, I, you know that's I, we won't go into that but he tried to put the death penalty back onto the ballot it, it was a miserable failure um back in 2012 they brought all these issues to referendum same-sex marriage backfired. It was hilarious, um, and it's just—it was a mess. And so I agree with you. I think if we put it to the people and you give them the opportunity to vote on, and you put democracy in action, and you put something on the ballot like death with dignity, and you put um, marijuana legalization, what do you think is going to happen? I can tell you exactly what I think is going to happen, but. W- you even go into some of the most conservative places, the the stigma. Look, the stigma is leaving the marijuana. It's just leaving. It's leaving and uh, it's evaporating. Um, maybe not the stench of marijuana, but I got to tell you yeah. that stigma is slowly eroding because people are waking up. They're thinking, you know, is this really where we want to be on marijuana? Do we want to? be stuck in the 1980s say no to drugs the nancy reagan era which we know has been a miserable miserable excruciating failure it's it is it's a complete failure this war on drugs is a complete failure and somebody listening now is going to say oh jesus another nut job libertarian who's you know is advocating for marijuana legalization doesn't think about the kids it's not a great thing it's going to lead to Gateway drugs of people doing heroin and cocaine and acid in the streets, and none of that is true. Oh, totally. None <laughs> of that is true. I mean, no more than anyone having a cocktail after dinner or wine with their meal is going to lead to that. Mm-hmm. It's it's equally ridiculous. I, and I agree I, with you. I think if it's put to referendum, it will pass. I I wish it would, and I know that there will be champions like you. Is going to go out and, and, and do the hard work. And look, this is not easy. Being in the, yeah, the state legislature is where, the like I said earlier in the show, I used that, that phrase, the rubber meets the road. It's a lot of tough work. You're mm-hmm. in for a challenge. And there's some good legislators on all sides. And I got to tell you, I know some fantastic Republicans that are in Annapolis who focus on policy that do the work that they were elected to do. But then you have goofballs like Neil Parrott and you send them down to Annapolis for two separate terms and they get absolutely nothing accomplished. They vote against the budget. They're like one of 10. Um, and they just do it because that's what their ultra conservative district wants them to do. They're driven by the tea party. And I'm just thinking you are sent to Annapolis by 
your constituents and paid $47,000 a year to be a legislator. So go and legislate. Do something that's productive. And people have different yeah, motivations. Exactly. I mean, people have different motivations and reasons, but don't be that guy um, that can't explain their vote but just says, I'm voting for this because I'm a conservative Republican. You know, that's ridiculous. My old friend, I say that in jest, but Ron Paul used to be the guy that stood out and didn't vote for raising the debt ceiling or would stand out and do certain things in Congress, but Ron Paul always had an intellectual reason for doing it, and he was consistent. You know, somebody that just says, I'm not going to vote for the state budget because um, I'm a conservative Republican, and I think that they're spending one dollar, you know, one more dollar than they should, or that it's just silliness. It is absolute silliness that some of these legislators are elected. They show up into Annapolis, and they get nothing done. They, attack, they, they, they get no bills passed, and they're just constantly pushing back against Mike Miller and Mike Bush. And some things we need to push back against Mike Miller and Mike Bush. But there's other things where – there's other times, like most of the time, where all of you guys that are – and gals that are working down in Annapolis, people expect you to get something done. And you, know, you shouldn't constantly be fighting with the governor or fighting with one another. And that's where I think people are tired of in this country. People want real action, and they want their state legislators to be responsive, to listen to them, to meet with their constituents, and to be hands-on. And so that's a, that's a task. That is certainly a task that I'm excited to see where all this ends up. So here's, here's a final question for you. Why do you want okay. this? What, what, pos- what would co- constantly compel you to just to, to want to do this at such the craziest time in American history? I'm always interested to learn how that works. I want to do this because I believe I can be a good representative of my constituents, of my community, and I'm an analyst by training. I think understanding how policy affects people's lives and what the reality of it is, I think that's a very important skill, especially in a citizen legislature like we have in Maryland. You know, we have a lot of people that are lawyers, and we all love lawyers, but, you know, there's a difference between the letter of the law and how it actually impacts people on a day-to-day basis. And I think we need more of that. We need more people who are going to consider that, who are going to go out and talk to their constituents and really work with their fellow legislators to not just be delegate no about everything just because that's what the party says you need to do. I think you need to work across the aisle and get things done for the communities because that's what matters at the end of the day is making a better life for all Marylanders. Yeah, I agree. And that's a great answer. And I, it's people who put themselves out on the ballot at this time um, have a lot of courage and they deserve respect. And as a citizen, now I don't live in your district. I live in District 15, and my state senator is Brian Feldman, and I actually ran into him yesterday at Polesville Days. And we have two other excellent – there are three, actually. We have Aruna Miller, who's running for Congress. We have Kathleen Dumay, and we have uh, David uh, Frazier-Hidalgo, who 
they represent our district extraordinarily well, and they're respected among their colleagues, and they go to Annapolis and do the work that we elect them to do. So I'm very proud of them as, as my, my state delegates. And so I just, I just go I ahead. I just ran into Kathleen Dumay last night at a um, friend's birthday party, and okay. I worked at her law firm when I was in grad school, so it was a good time catching up and talking about all of this. Well, she's, I'd never want to cross her. <laughs> oh, That's no. for sure. No, she no. Is, <laughs> she is fierce, and uh, we have a special. And we did, we really like best compliment you can give her. Yes, she's fierce, and she's actually been on the show before too, and to to talk about some justice reform issues. So that's uh, that'll be a, an, another discussion for us. But look, I just want you to remember, and as someone who is jumping into this race and um, putting your name on the ballot uh, for the first time, just always, always remember that. Um, it's about the people for whom you represent and to do good and to, to go with a mission. And if you don't get everything accomplished, that's okay. Um, but to work as hard as you can each and every day and just remember and to be humble and to think about who put you there. And some people and politicians, they lose touch with that reality and they enjoy the title more than the work. And that's where exactly. I'm concerned. And so I I have no doubt that um, you will do um, the, 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 the latter rather than the former, and that's enjoy the work and to, um, to commit yourself to, to learning as much as you can and, um, and being intellectually curious because nobody knows everything when you go to Annapolis, and it's a whole different world. No, but, um, of course uh, not. It's so, a learning curve, and I hopefully look forward to being able to do that. Yeah, well – Will you keep us in, in the loop of everything that you do so we can follow you? Of course. I'm going to take oh. advantage, be the first to take advantage of putting you on my mailing list. You may regret this. No, I'm, I'm glad that you will. And <laughs> um, I'm, going to, I'm going to follow your campaign. I think you and I have a lot. Our politics cross-pollinate with one another. And so we, we want the same things. And uh, I think we have similar approaches and the same avenues to get there. And if we can do... If we can do it at the state level, and that's where that's where the real magic happens, right here in the state level, um, then that's that's where these tough, big ticket items they they really belong. I love to get the federal government the hell out of my business as much as possible, and and stick with working in the confines of uh, our our state legislature. So um, that's that's where some of us Tenth Amendment enthusiasts stand um, in our politics. So. Um, where can people find you and learn more about your campaign? Well, my campaign website will be live later this week. It will be, uh, yes, this coming week, www.mylajohns.com. But for right now, I'm Myla Johns for D18 on Twitter and at Facebook and myla.johnsd18 at gmail.com. Please reach out. Uh, Ryan shared on Twitter and Facebook my the links to my profiles, please. I would love to hear from you. And just anything you want to know or talk about, let me know, and we'll set up a time and have coffee and go through it. I would be happy to talk to anyone who's interested. And now, are you trust gonna be... me, Ryan, we're going to keep in touch. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you plan to go out and knock doors and do all that fun stuff. This is my full-time job right now. So, That's yeah. good. Well, that's... 
that's fun. And you're going to have a lot of doors to knock. And listen, if anyone tweets a photo or, or whatever you call it, a GIF, GIF, I don't know how you say it, but if like of you being hit in the head with a golf ball, I swear to God, I'm going to call them out and, and come after them. I, I'm not kidding. Like I will, I will blast them for Thank you. I appreciate at a time. that. <laughs> which I, I don't think that's going to happen because you're in a you're you're in a pretty I safely. I don't even know if any Trust Republicans me, are going to. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You're not going to find me on a golf course or anywhere near one. So uh, my husband and you maybe with cigars, but uh, I stay far away from anything other than putt putt. <laughs> well, I was going to say is do you, is there any Republicans going to run for District 18? Has that happened? They, there was no, there were no Republican challengers last year. Um, yeah. Last election cycle, I don't know if there will be this year. Both parties are newly energized, yeah. based on what happened in 2016. So we'll see. Oh well, yeah. maybe you know when they start wearing the "Make America Great Again" hats in District 18, then that's the time where you have to say, "Oh, good lord!" and <laughs> I'll be ordering my Vicente Fox version hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a that's I encourage people to watch the Vicente Fox. But anyway, um, you were a pleasure to have tonight. I really appreciate the oh, uh, the right. hour and um, few minutes that you spent with us. Uh, keep us in the loop. Um, people can check out your website. They can go to your Facebook page and sit down and talk to you. And if um, I'm sure you'll be knocking doors and waving signs and doing lots of fundraisers and meeting with all those nice Democratic groups. So keep us in the loop, and um, we'll cover the race as it unfolds. So I want to thank you again for your time, and um, good luck to you. You're a, you're a pleasure to talk with. Thank you so much for having me on, Ryan. I really appreciate it, and this was a great conversation, and I hope to keep having it. You bet. All right. Well, you have a great week, and uh, we'll catch up with you soon. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Democrat Myla John, she's running for state delegate in District 18, which is uh, way down there in the county. (laughs) I say way down because I'm up here in Up County in North Potomac, Maryland. So, all right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap up the show. I'm sure people are still watching the the damn Emmys. Um, I got some other things to watch. First, it was Game of Thrones on Sunday nights and – then it's the Emmys, and I just can't, I can't catch a break. Anyway, well, folks, um, I appreciate you listening. Uh, we're going we're gonna to try to get as many candidates on the show as possible. And um, I got a big show coming up, and uh, I should – well, maybe I can just go ahead and break it now. So I, I'm thinking I'm going to have in the next couple of weeks Governor Bob Ehrlich. He and I had a conversation through email we're going to get him on the show and talk about what he's been up to. Old Governor Ehrlich, I, I, you know, great guy. Miss him. And uh, so, yeah, that'll be a good show. All right. Well, you folks have a great week. Enjoy it. Beautiful weather. Get outside and uh, have, a, have a cocktail or a cigar for me. All right. Great night. And thank you all so much for listening. My name is Ryan Miner. You can find me on the web at Ryan or rather – Geez, I'm thinking of my old website, aminordetail.com, and this is a minor detail radio, which you can find on blogtalkradio.com slash a minor detail. Oh, and we're also on Stitcher Radio, TuneIn, 
iTunes, and SoundCloud. Have a great week, everyone.